Good afternoon, Leeward Community College. You are listening to What Up Leeward? Let's Dive Deep, our podcast brought on to you by Leeward Community College's student government. My name is Alex Williamson. I'm the student government president. Today, I'll be presenting this series hosted by our treasurer, Eric Serafian, Everything You Want to Know About Money and Your Future, sponsored by Matanuska Valley Federal Credit Union. So today we're gonna have an interesting discussion about loans and savings. So we're very excited today to figure out what we uh, have to hear about. So thank you so much. And without uh, further ado, I'll give the floor to Eric. Uh, we're actually gonna be talking a lot about investments uh, today, not really loans. So, um, <clears throat> Brian, I want to thank you and Robert for coming on today. Really appreciate it. And thank you for the introduction, Alex. Uh, I guess just as a bit of a refresher for people, I want to ask, why should people invest? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the power of investing uh, gives people the opportunity to make substantially more long-term than uh, the power of just saving and and putting money into like a deposit type account, like your typical savings, money market, CDs, uh, especially younger people that have uh, a longer time horizon. So basically, because you're saying, if I'm understanding this correctly, that because most college students are very young and therefore have a lot of time, uh, they can make a lot of money off of long-term investments. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, the longer your time horizon, uh, typically the more aggressive you could be investing. And that gives people an opportunity that um, other people that, that maybe don't have as long on the time horizon uh, got to be a little bit more careful. So the younger you start, the, the bigger the opportunity. Okay. So for practicality, say, could you, could you give us an example of say, you know, 18-year-old college student that could, has a couple of dollars to invest or some amount. Yeah. Uh, so obviously, depending on budget, I know when I was a college student, I didn't have a whole lot extra to invest uh, at that age. But um, yeah, if you did have, you know, if you're working part time uh, while going to school and you had some extra money, uh, yeah, there's significant opportunity. Uh, I would typically, when sitting down with someone um, in that age group, I would pull up a compounding interest calculator um, and show them the power of compounding interest over time. And we can do that now, if you like. Uh, we'll just have to kind of talk to. through that. Let's do yeah, it. So I, there's a number of them out there. If you just Google um, a compounding interest calculator, I use one. It's really simple by MyChimp. Um, you can pull that up, and it's it's pretty basic. It just has, okay, what, what do I have to start with? And then uh, how much do I believe that I can invest annually? And what is my time horizon? So how long do I have to invest? Um and then at what interest rate could we anticipate potentially uh, for returns? And so what I would do is, let's say I had scraped together a thousand bucks. I'd put that in as my initial investment. Um, and then if you're 18, uh, most people, if this is money you're saving for retirement, um, most people have to work until at least 65. Now, full social security age for, for us is 67 if they don't move it again. Um, but at least 65 because everybody needs medical insurance when you get to that age and you typically medical insurance once you uh, stop working. So at 65 uh, is the magic age for Medicare. And so most of us have to work until we're 65. 
So if we assume that the person's 18 and going to work till 65, I think that's what, 42 years, uh, 47 years, my bad, uh, 47 years. So that would set our time horizon. So uh, then I would pull up, you know, a, a typical mutual fund. Uh, you could use also a, a ETF um, or any type of investment. I use uh, the Growth Fund of America. If you want to pull that up, then what I like about this is that they've been around for a long time. So we have a nice long time horizon to kind of set our expectation as far as what the annual return would look like. Uh, I think on December 1st, that particular fund will have been in existence for 49 years. Um, and with a long time horizon like that, um, you have good market years, great market years, poor market years, terrible market years. Um, and this is one of them. Uh, we're having a really poor market year. Um, I think that particular fund is down almost 32%. So, but I like that because, I mean, I don't like being down uh, in the market, but I like the fact that it encompasses all of those bad years, not just the good years. So we get a nice uh, long uh, sample size there. And so I think the average return over the 49 years it's been in existence is 12.88%. So if I'm 18 and I could scrounge together hundred bucks a month, um, and I started with a thousand. Are you plugging this into the compounding interest calculator? Yes. Excellent. So start with a thousand, uh, can do a hundred dollars a month. So that's $1,200 annually. Uh, I have 47 years until I get to that magic age of 65 and can uh, retire. And we're going to plug in 12.88% since they've averaged that for 49 years. Uh, that kind of sets the expectation on what we could expect over time. And then the other thing so I would do. Let me just interrupt you real quick. So sorry. Um, I just wanted to make sure everyone knows how to get to this calculator. Um, while we're on the podcast, I just want to give them clear instructions just so we can kind of walk them through it. I do apologize. Um, but I believe it's on moneychimp.com slash calculator slash compound underscore interest underscore calculator dot htm. And that's moneychimp.com slash calculator slash compound underscore interest underscore calculator dot htm. And yeah, I just wanted to make sure because I know you said search it, but we just have to be really clear on these um, podcasts when, when the uh, students do look it up. So now everyone can be on the same page with you. So I do I, I do apologize the interruption, but I wanted to make sure that everyone was on um, on board so they can do it with us. So. Thank you so much for explaining this. Yeah, thank you uh, for making that clear. And and there's a number of uh, compounding interest calculators or investment calculators out there. Um, this is the one I use because it's it's just really simple and it can illustrate the power of compounding interest over time. So if I plug that into the compounding interest calculator, then what I would also do is pull up uh, just a regular calculator. You can use one on your phone or one on your computer. And I would find out first, how much money have I personally invested? If I did that $100 a month for the 47 years, that's $1,200 a year, I would have invested $56,400. Plus, I told them I had started with 1000 because I was able to save that. So that is $57,400 of my dollars I've put in there. And what does the investment calculator say? $3.4 million approximately. $3.4 million. Yeah. So that's the compounding interest over time. Now let's do add one other component to this illustration. Let's say I didn't start at 18. Let's say I waited 
I, I heard this great news about investing, but I just, I got distracted. I put it on the back burner. I didn't do it. Let's say I waited another five years. So I'm not going to start at 18. I'm going to start at 23. So take that time horizon down from 47 years to 42 years. Okay. $1.8 million. Roughly half. It goes down by almost half. So the, the bigger component is not the interest rate or how much you're putting in. It's the time. So I could argue that young people have the greatest opportunity to set themselves up for a strong retirement uh, simply due to their age and the power of time. That's why you should invest because depending on the type of investment, and we can get into that here in a minute, but um, that's, that's a lot of money. I mean, it won't feel like that much money, of course, 47 years from now because of inflation, but it will still be a strong amount of money. And, um, and it will really open up your opportunities and, in the quality of your life in retirement. Wow. I mean, personally, I knew that compounding interest could do a lot, but just even the difference of five years, that is a little mind boggling to me that it can make the difference of more than a million dollars. Yeah. I tell young people that I meet with uh, all the time. I mean, if you, if you get this at an early age, you can put yourself on a course where it is unavoidable. You will be a multimillionaire. Um, and it's not hard. It's not crazy. Uh, it's not difficult to do, but you have to be committed to it. And life's going to throw curveballs at you. It's going to be, you know, you, everybody has hard times, but your commitment to this through those hard times, it's going to be really tempting. Oh, well, you know, something, my car broke down. I need an extra thousand bucks. Maybe I don't make that contribution or maybe I dip into this. But if you don't, if you, if you stay the course, you are on a path where it is unavoidable. You will be very financially set in retirement. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. All right. So we talked about the power of investments. Let's switch over a bit. What types of investments are there? Because I'm, I'm sure that everyone's you know, familiar with stocks, but what can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah, of course, there's a tremendous amount of types of investments out there. Stocks um, are popular. Robinhood came out and gave everybody the power of investing in their hand uh, right from their app, but they've shown some weaknesses and uh, maybe that's not best. And I've never been a fan of um, just buying stocks. Now, uh, anyone that bought Tesla a couple of years ago proved me wrong because <laughs> they blew up, of course, but it is far more common to be wrong than right when you're guessing on a single investment. So that's when, you know, 50 years ago or whatever, um, mutual funds uh, became very popular because it was a pooled investment. And inside of that pool, you would have hundreds of different investments and you had a professional manager. So it gave you the diversification so that if you know one of those companies failed, it would have a minimal impact on the overall investment. Uh, so diversification, I believe, is key when choosing an investment. And then also that professional management. Um, so like the, if you want to do this yourself. So like the S&P 500, uh, from my understanding, is a collection of the top 500 most valuable companies that are publicly traded in America, correct? Uh, yes. Now, that would be considered an index. So that uh, isn't something that is managed by professional manager. Uh, oh. But there's lots of mutual funds that duplicate what's in the um in the S&P 500, as well as other indexes like your Russell 2000, your Russell 1000, there's the NASDAQ index. I mean, so there's a lot of those index funds and those became very popular. It's kind of a spinoff from these mutual funds because mutual funds got a little bit uh, too complicated. Managers thought they were 
really smart. And ultimately over time, they would underperform these indexes. So uh, index funds came out and they gave people a really low cost option since there wasn't the management cost in them. Um, and you knew exactly what you're going to get. I'm going to get whatever this market, whatever this index does. That is what I can expect from my performance long-term. Um, and that's not a bad option. Uh, there are, however, mutual funds that are, are more strategic and they can outperform uh, various indexes as well. So you want to be well educated on that um, before making an investment selection. Um, and oftentimes, if this just isn't your cup of tea and it isn't for many, uh, and even if you went to college and you got a degree and you're a very smart person, I meet with friends all the time. I mean, they're very smart and they're good at what they do. And uh, they're like, hey, man, I, I got my college degree. I have friends that have master's degree. And they're like, hey, what class did I skip? Because I don't know any of this stuff. And the reality is we just don't teach it. Unless you're getting a finance degree, um, you probably didn't have an opportunity to learn this stuff. So that's where my job is relevant. And um, it may be worth your time to sit down with a financial advisor and get some investment advice. Okay, so I assume that Montanuska Valley offers it. Um do you have any other, you know, for people that may be listening off in, in other areas, any other advisors that you could recommend? Yeah. So most most financial institutions uh, have like a financial services department. And if you go in there and talk to them, they can get you set up with an appointment with um, a financial advisor. There's also lots of independent companies out there. If you Google um, investment advisor in my area, uh, you'll find a plethora of options. Yeah, I believe it. I believe it. Okay. So thank you for, you know, expanding on that because I always, I, I make the mistake of thinking that a mutual fund is the same as an index fund when mutual funds are managed by, you know, an advisor or someone and index funds are just, you know, not, if I understand you correctly. And most... Most of the, the index funds are typically not mutual funds because you don't need the professional management. And so they created ETFs. Um, and what are ETFs? ETFs? Are, so they're somewhat like a mutual fund, but it, because they're not managed, they're going to be uh, stagnant. So whatever is in there is just in there, right? And um, they're either a computer algorithm is telling them what to buy and sell based on what they're trying to copy. So uh, for instance, I think a year and a half ago, Tesla got so big when they experienced that big boom that they got added to the S&P 500. So an ETF doesn't have a human saying, okay, we got to add Tesla to this portfolio. A uh, computer is going to do that because they got put into the S&P 500. So then that um, ETF uh, index fund is going to then copy that and add Tesla. So you don't have personal management, but it does change. It just doesn't change as frequently as like a mutual fund would. And they don't typically weight things different based on the manager's expectation of how an individual stock might perform. So they're a little bit different. It gets a little bit confusing, but ETFs also are the less expensive choice there. So there is value to ETFs. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. So let's move on a bit to the different types of you know, terms that are tossed around. Because I've heard of like 401ks, IRAs, Roth IRAs. Um, let's start with the first. What's, what is a 401k? A 401k is a retirement plan offered through an employer. So uh, it, you get out of school or maybe while you're in school, you're working and that employer may offer a 401k plan. 
uh, the great thing about a 401k plan is typically there is a matching component. So if I'm willing to put in some of my money into this, my employer will then match those contributions on their side. So immediately, if you have a, a, a matching component, your money can double the second it goes in there, which is obviously a very strong proposition. So uh, my advice is always, if there's a matching component to a 401k, uh, if you're not contributing, you're walking away from free money. And that's obviously silly to do. So if you get a company that's offering you 401k, take full advantage of it and uh, try to do, I mean, obviously work within a budget, but uh, try to max out that matching component. I have a quick question about 401k. Um, so I, this is just like a naive, random question. So I don't know if any of our listeners are thinking it too, but so like you said, some jobs offer 401k, some don't. What, what, how many years would you need to have contributed to a 401k to see something, uh, you know, when you do retire? Does that make sense the way I'm wording that? Yeah. So oftentimes, I mean, we go back to our, our grandparents era and they, you know, went off to a job and they worked and they'd stay there their whole career. Uh, but that just doesn't happen anymore. People change jobs. So, um, I rarely see it where somebody has had a 401k for 30 years. That just doesn't seem to happen anymore. Um, but they often have multiple 401ks. Um, so you work for a job for five years, you have that money, you move on to another job. And then at that point, you'll have options. You can move that money that was in your old 401k, either into the new 401k, or perhaps you can roll it into an IRA. Um, and other times you can just leave it there. That's fine too. You can't contribute to that anymore. Um, but it can sit there and stay in the investments and continue to grow. So um, as far as a, how long would you have to invest? There's a lot of factors there. How much money did you make? What percentage were you contributing? What was your employer's match? What investment selections did you choose inside that 401k? That will all determine what your overall success was uh, as far as an investment in that 401k. And again, uh, not a bad idea to uh, get some assistance when choosing what investments are in a 401k. And that's where a financial advisor or maybe even someone from an HR department can sit down with you and, and help you work through that. Great question, Alex. Okay. So thank you for telling me about the 401k, but uh, what's an IRA? What is an IRA? Because I, well, I heard, heard it before, but not too familiar with it. So an IRA stands for Individual Retirement Account. And typically when people are referencing just IRA, they're talking about a traditional IRA. There are other IRAs out there like a simple IRA, a SEP IRA, and a Roth IRA. But when people refer to just IRA, they're typically talking about a traditional IRA. And how those work is uh, if I get paid, my, my check goes into my check account, the taxes have already been removed through my payroll department, and then I can contribute to a traditional IRA. And then at the end of the year, when I go to file my taxes, uh, the IRS allows me to then write off all of the money that I could put into my IRA. So I get an immediate tax advantage this year uh, for contributing. Now, I can't touch that money till the random age of 59 and a half uh, per IRS guidelines without a penalty and taxes being owed. So I have to be relatively sure uh, when contributing to an IRA that I do not need access to this money until I do retire. Now, a Roth IRA uh, kind of works differently. Uh, again, same scenario. I get paid, my check goes into my checking account, taxes have been withheld from my payroll department. And then I put my contributions into a Roth IRA. 
I do not get to write off those contributions this year. However, the IRS will let me write off all the capital gains between now and retirement. So in that scenario that we did with the compounding interest calculator, you can see if you're young, it's a massive opportunity because I think in that scenario, the 18-year-old uh, retires at 65, had $3.6 million or something like that, of which only 57400 was their contribution. So the vast majority of that money was all capital gains. And in a Roth IRA, you don't owe anybody anything on that. That is all your money. And all those capital gains are forgiven. So just you pay significantly less taxes from what it sounds like on a Roth IRA compared to a traditional IRA, like in the order yeah, of like, what is the, for, for an IRA, uh, what would, what percentage of it would you say is lost due to taxes compared to a you know Roth IRA? Would it be like 30, 40%, 50? Yeah, no, it's it's significantly more than that if you're young, right? So there's uh, different components depending on the situation, the scenario. For a young individual in that scenario, 18, uh, you basically would be paying taxes on the 57400 in a Roth IRA. In a traditional IRA, you would have to pay taxes on all of the money that you had at the end of it, so $3.6 million. So as, a, as far as a percentage, I mean, yeah, it's 99% different uh, there probably. Wow. Okay. So if you're young, the 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 choice is obvious. A Roth IRA is for you. So I'm going to ask this question for our um, non-traditionally aged students because I'm one of them, um, and I'm 30. So would would the Roth IRA still be the choice for me? Yes, at 30, it okay. still. Would be. I mean, you can play with the compounding interest calculator yourself, and um, and kind of change the scenario that that fits your your age. But um, yeah, it's really Roths lose their power about five to 10 years before retirement, because there's just not nice. the time component to see that. So if you're in your 50s, probably, probably not a Roth. Mm -hmm. but, um, but you could still contribute to a traditional. Good information. Thank you. Yeah. One, what I'm understanding is that traditional IRA is more for people that are older, like retiring in their middle age or later in life, whereas a Roth IRA is very good and basically explicitly for young people who want to invest and make millions of dollars for their retirement. Yeah, Roth is the clear choice for anyone who's um, who's young. And even in middle age, uh, Roth is the clear choice. What I see happen where, where I'm opening a traditional IRA to, to invest for people, these are people that accidentally made too much money. They went to their CPA um, they're probably in their 60s and uh, the CPA says, oh, you guys went over this tax bracket. And so uh, the IRS lets you contribute to an IRA in the first up until tax day for the prior year. So oftentimes these people are scrambling in before they file their taxes. I need to open an IRA and get this money in there because I need the tax advantage right now so I can drop into that lower tax bracket. So that I mean, that's that's who really mostly is using a, a traditional IRA. But as far as investing long-term for your future, if you have the time horizon, a Roth IRA is the clear choice. Thank you. Yeah, it, yeah, it just sounds like the Roth IRA is just the best choice. Um, okay. And I remember seeing, um, what was it, Su Susie Orman, that when I was 18 years old, saying Roth IRA, Roth IRA, and I didn't do it. And here I am at 30 hearing it. So... If it's not too late, you know, hopefully I'm 
speaking to other folks who maybe are in a similar situation, it sounds like you're saying it's not too late. So that's good. And would, in order to go about this Roth IRA, would it be the same way you'd contact your financial institution? Yeah, you can. I mean, there's other ways to do it, of course, online. Uh, there's companies that let you be in control and do all that. You don't get a lot of advice. Um, but if you feel pretty savvy and you like doing this type of stuff and uh, doing the research and investments and, and feel comfortable making your own investment selections, uh, I don't want to pay for somebody's advice that I feel like I don't need. So um, you can do it on your own online. I mean, of course, technology advancements uh, let people kind of be in the driver's seat if they want to be. Um, but I think for still the majority of people out there, they they need a little help with this. Um, and so, yeah, going to a financial institution uh, or any investment advisor and, and sitting down and having a conversation might be a uh, good use of your time. Also on the Roth IRA, one more note. One thing that we have seen trending over the last 10, 15 years is people, or rather companies, uh, offering a Roth side to the 401k. And this is massive. Um, now, how that looks is when I make my contribution, so my company offers the Roth side. So when I make my contributions to my 401k, I direct all of my investments to the Roth side. Now, when they match that, they don't ever put in the Roth side. They only match on the traditional side. But essentially, I'm building two pools of money uh, for my retirement. And it allows me an avenue to um, still get a matching component and still add to uh, Roth savings, right? So uh, if you do get employed by a company that offers a 401k, the first question I would ask is, is there a Roth side to this? Because we're seeing more and more companies start adding that. And it's it's a massively powerful tool. Thank you for the advice. This is great stuff. But um, let's, let's dial things back, back a bit and get back to stocks. So can you buy individual stocks in a Roth IRA by yourself? Or do you need to go through a management fund? Or how, how would that work? You can hold individual stocks in just about any type of brokerage account. So investment account. So my personal opinion on the matter is with retirement, I want to play it a little bit more safe. I'm going to probably have more mutual funds, ETFs, something that gives me a broad diversification in my retirement dollars. Then with discretionary money, money that I have extra, not retirement, after I've already made my retirement contributions, I will have a separate, what we call non-qualified, so it's not a not a um, retirement type of account, but it's still an investment brokerage account, and I will buy individual stocks there if I if I feel very compelled that a, a company is going to do well, and I want to own that stock because I believe there'll be uh, good returns, I'll own that in that type of account. But with retirements, when you start buying individual um, positions like that, you open yourself up to significantly higher risk. So that would be more for people that want to see about getting higher returns, but are okay with more risky financial decisions. Yeah. Uh, and potentially, so I've had people come to me and say, oh, I really want to own this company, whether it's Apple or Amazon or Tesla or one of those companies, and they'll want to buy it in a retirement account. And what I'll do is I'll find a portfolio that includes a good percentage of that company. So like, if we go back to that, um, mutual fund that we were looking at before, they're going to have all of those companies in there. They're going to have Tesla. They're going to have Apple. They're going to have um, Google. They're going to have Yahoo or they're going to have all of that. So if you buy into that, you technically do own a little bit of that company, uh, but because it's diversified, so I can still own Tesla without owning the individual stock and worried about timing 
of my purchase and, and the inherent risk that comes with owning just one individual stock. So in a retirement account, you can still own what you want to own, but still have that broad diversification too. But if I want to hold individual stock positions, I would do that outside of retirement accounts. Okay. Okay. So moving on to individual stocks, because uh, I know that some stocks will just pay you money, pay you dividends for just simply holding on to them. Whereas I know that there are other stocks that will, instead of paying out to their investors, they pay, instead of paying out dividends, they will just focus on regrowing and making the company bigger and more valuable. Uh, what would you say is better for an investor? If you're a young investor, growth is key. Uh, that's what you're looking for. Now, older investors uh, want to live off the income of their investments, and that's where those dividend stocks shine. So you got your Ford, your Johnson & Johnson, your ConocoPhillips. I mean, there's a bunch of companies out there that offer pretty nice dividends. Um, so it gives uh, older investor a way to invest that money and then have those dividends that they can live on without actually touching the principal, having to sell from their positions to to have income. Uh, but if I was, you know, if you if you're younger, you're far better off going with a growth stock, growth growth portfolio. Got it. Now, how much money do you think people should retire on? Especially in Hawaii, I know we have some students that you know don't live here or are planning to move out. But uh, since you know primarily for Hawaii, do you have any idea on how much people should have to retire here? Unfortunately, there's not. Uh a one answer that fits all type of That's right. uh, response here. But um, oh, largely it's the, the type of lifestyle you want to live, uh, how much debt you have in going to retirement. Obviously you need a whole lot less if you don't have car payments and a mortgage payment. Um, so that changes the amount that you'll need to save if you're also good at managing your debt positions as well. So, um, and then also where you live. I mean, in Hawaii, the cost of living is significantly higher than most places it's... in the United States. I think the only place that has higher cost of living is like San Francisco and certain parts of the city. Yeah. It, yeah. It is pretty bad over here. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, me and my wife love Hawaii and uh, we actually thought a couple of years ago, we might have an opportunity to buy a condo over there. And we started looking at them. Nope. No, nah, I got, I'm going to have to save a little bit more for that. So I don't know how you guys do it with the, I mean, just the cost of land. Um, it was pretty significant there. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, depending on where you want to retire, that's a huge factor. Um, Alaska is not uh, a low cost of living state either. Um, so, you know, it's my objective to have no debt going into retirement. And I think those are the people that truly are successful when they get to retirement are those that have everything paid off by the time they get there. Okay. So from the sounds of it, you'd say that housing is not a realistic investment for people on the island just having their money in a house or something like that as an alternative to actually uh investing the money in in like um a retirement account with with yes. mutual funds or stock market yeah you know that's a tough one because i've met a lot of people that made their wealth through real estate um and so it, it obviously can be done um but i think for most people um it's not as easy uh, being a landlord. I just got out of that. I, we had a condo. 
Um, and we've been running it out for a number of years. It's, it's tough. You have to drive in every time something breaks. So, um, I wouldn't, I don't want to count on that, um, for retirement. And I know that it's, it's pretty prohibitive to get into, uh, on the Island because of the cost. So just saving up enough for a down payment and closing costs, uh, there in Hawaii is, is challenging for sure. So, um, I think it's far easier to start a Roth or, or other investments, start contributing to a 401k and get yourself on your way. Uh, not to say that real estate couldn't be part of your portfolio down the line. Uh, there may be an opportunity uh, to buy and I wouldn't discourage you from that, uh, but certainly research it and look into it. Thank you for answering all these questions. That was the last one I had, but now let's move over to some of the questions that some students sent in. For the for investing, uh, are there any what what would you consider the best brokerage account for investments? Like, I know that Vanguard is a very popular investment brokerage for stocks, but do you have any others that you could recommend? Vanguard is actually one of the companies that have a lot of those indexed ETFs and mutual funds, so they're low cost. Um, makes them very attractive if you want to do this on your own. Again, you're not getting advice from Vanguard. And if you call and you need help, you're getting a 1-800 number and a call center. You're going to talk to a different person every time you call. They don't know you from Adam. So that can be a, a little bit uh, challenging. Uh, but if you're comfortable doing it on your own, yeah, it's not a bad option. And again, very low cost. Uh, Fidelity is another one. Um, Schwab has very low trading fees if you want uh, just their online platform. Uh, to buy and sell. There's a lot, a lot of those type of companies, but reality, uh, we're in a credit union. Uh, credit unions are not for profit. Um, so we approach things very differently. There's credit unions, uh, of course, in Hawaii, and they offer financial services as well. Um, and I think the approach that you're going to get is if you're not if you're not for profit, then what are you for? Well, we're for service. We exist to serve the communities that we're in. And so that changes the approach. We're very cost sensitive because of being in a credit union. So we're not here to try to make as much money. We don't have to. We don't have we don't have shareholders. Our members are our shareholders. So uh, any profit we do make has to go right back into the credit union. So I just find somebody that um, that you can get along with, that you trust. And um, maybe that means interviewing a few different financial advisors. Sit down with a few of them and see whose ideas you like the best and, and who you believe uh, really get you to the finish line. Okay, and I have one last question here. Um, what is a bull and a bear market? So a bull market is when things are going well, when the market is on a rise, right? And um, that's measured over a period of time. Um, and a bear market is the exact opposite. A bear market is when a uh, market is in decline. So we are currently in a bear market. However, the previous several years, we were in a very nice bull market, some of the best we've ever seen, in fact. Um, so, and that's one thing to uh, keep in mind when you're investing, markets go up, markets go down, but uh, historically they win substantially more than they lose. When that stops happening, we're no longer gonna have a market. So, you know, through these hard times, uh, it's adjusting your mindset and understanding this is the time to buy. Things are on sale right now. In fact, that mutual fund that we looked at earlier, is at a 32% discount. So you can buy more shares of that portfolio right now than you were able to uh, just as far back as January. So, um, you know, Warren Buffett, uh, you know, has some great quotes out there. And he was the one that said, um, you know, buying and selling 
runs counterintuitive to your motions, right? So when things are going great, everyone wants to buy, but you're buying at a premium. And when things are going poorly, everybody wants to sell, but now you're selling at a discount. So you got to take the emotions out of it and really rationalize through your decisions. And also know if I have a long time horizon, if I'm young and I've got decades left to work, I don't need to freak out. Markets are going to come back. Things are going to be fine. In fact, right now is my opportunity to invest more money to, to get that discount right now. Really appreciate awesome. it. Yeah, no problem, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation with uh, Robert and Brian from Matanuska Valley uh, Federal Credit Union. We've been talking a lot about investing. We've uh, brought up some really great points. We've hit on things like stocks, mutual funds. We've gotten some really good advice about Roth IRAs. So, so thankful for all that today. And also very thankful that you mentioned that credit unions are for service, because I think that's a really important thing that people need to know. And it what makes you different from a lot of the banks out there. So thanks so much. It's one of the reasons that uh, we're proud that you decided to work with us and make these podcasts. So on behalf of student government, thanks for being here, Montanuska Valley. And uh, my name is Alex Williamson. I'm student government president. You've been listening to a conversation with our treasurer, Eric Serafian, with Montanuska Valley Federal Credit Union. And we've been talking about investing. This is everything you want to know about money in your future. Uh, part of our What Up Leeward Let's Dive Deep podcast. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.